NOLA History Guy podcast for Sunday, December 20th, 2020. Welcome to the pod. Yeah, that's not our regular theme from the Funky Meters. Uh, and it's also, if, you, uh, if you're if ex- you uh, new that the theme of the pod was uh, Mr. Bingle, that's probably not the uh, jingle that, or the, the audio that you were expecting, because you're probably expecting the classic jingle, which we'll have up in a little bit, uh, from the WDSU uh, uh, commercials from uh, uh, TV in the uh, in the the 50s uh but no that is audio from one of the window display shows that oscar eisentrout did in 1948 with the bingle puppet in the da- in the the front window of maison blanche canal street and that's uh that's where we're starting because we're going to talk about mr bingle from his origins in uh 1947 all the way up to now 2020 now we've done a lot of things on mr bingle for nola history guy of course because he's well he's chapter three in the maison blanche book but uh we're we've never really done uh we've never done a podcast to talk about him and and go from there uh a little uh background on this of course is that mr bingle is the reason why i did the uh, the the book Maison Blanche Department Stores for Arcadia Publishing, and the idea was that uh, well, what happened was is that I had done uh, uh, I'd done a book already on Brother Martin High School, and well, done the uh, streetcar book as well. So we had uh, Brothers of the Sacred Heart in New Orleans, and also New Orleans the Canal Streetcar Line, and at the time I was uh, doing I was writing for GoNola.com which is the uh, city tourism promotion website. And I was the, for a long time, just, you know, uh, just for years, I was the, uh, the history podcast, uh, history blogger uh, for uh, gonola.com. And as part of that, going back in like 2008-ish or so, I, or 2008, 2009, yeah, it was very early on, but that first Christmas that I was writing for Go Nola, I did a piece on Bingle because, well, you, it, it's well, especially for me since I worked at at Maison Blanche, he was kind of easy, and of course he's he's lovable and fun and all that kind of stuff. So I did a piece on Bingle, and the editor that worked with me on the Brother Martin book then comes back and emails me back my own article because you know these these acquisition editors they are uh, regularly looking at the stuff in their markets. And so she emails me back my own article and says, this is your next book. And there was two reasons for that. One, she could tell just, you know, 
just get the feel that I was, you know, very much into Maison Blanche. Well, I worked there, right? You know, that kind of, you know, had has some very, you know, good fond memories of, of working at MP Clearview. And the other thing was that uh, from an Arcadia standpoint, the uh, department store books do very well because people remember the, especially even now, you know, it's, it's even worse now is one thing when, you uh, when all the downtown stores died and let died and moved to the malls, but now even the malls are dying, of course, in favor of online and everything else that we won't talk about here. But you get the idea. So she's like, "Yeah, I think you should do a book on Maison Blanche." And of course, naturally, Mr. Bingle became Chapter Three in Maison Blanche department stores. And we tell the story in the book of how uh, Bingle comes about. So I thought, let's do a podcast of it and talk about it a little bit and get into some of the history and backstory. So here we go. We're going to talk about Mr. Bingle from those early days when he's a sketch in Christmas of 1947, coming all the way up now to 2020, where the Big Bingle is out in the park for Celebration in the Oaks. Okay, so let's go back to 1947. It's the fall of 1947, and Mr. Emil Alline, it's A-L-L-I-N-E, uh, Mr. Mr. Alline is the display director for Maison Blanche Department Store on Canal Street. So at the time, it's, it's post-war, uh, there's, there's a, a, a bit of a boom, well, it's the beginning of the baby boom, too. You know, it's uh, economic, uh, you know, good times. Um, Alline and the art and his display department, as well as the uh, as well as the uh, the art department and the ad people, everything's pretty much put together at this point. So he, you know, basically the store had opened in 1897. So now it's 50 years later. The store has survived two world wars. Alline is part of the advertising promoting in the store in this World War II boom. He's got everything set. So he takes a November trip up to Chicago and he goes up to go check out what's going on along the city's famed Miracle Mile. Let's go see what, what the other guys are doing. Because in particular, when it comes to displays and that kind of thing, it's very easy to look at what's going on in one city and then and, you know, flattery, uh, you know, uh, 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 imitation is the greatest form of flattery, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so go see what's going on. And what he comes across when he gets up to the Miracle Mile, so he gets to Marshall Fields and he sees that the store now has a Christmas character. Now, everybody's got Santa Claus, right? That's easy. But a more unique Christmas character that a store can tie to their brand, well, that's something, that's a new idea, a relatively new idea. So Marshall Fields uh, comes up with a Christmas character, and they name him Uncle Mistletoe. And basically what Uncle Mistletoe was is a an older man, a, a, a Santa Claus you can brand with the store, if it will. You know, it's like Uncle Mistletoe says, hi, kids, come buy toys. You know what, you know, that kind of thing. Go go buy that handbag for your wife, you know. So, but he's still he's he's Uncle Mistletoe. He's kind of an older guy and that kind of thing. So, Aline comes uh, basically, you know, he's, he returns from 
uh, returns from Chicago and decided that Maison Blanche needed a Christmas character. So he gets to work on that. So he does that little trip and comes back. And, you know, remember, everything's, you know, one of the things about Christmas is that, you know, for a retail store, Christmas is the the heart the hardest of the work in the planning and development of anything with ad copy and displays. That's done in the summer. You know, it's like when I worked at Radio Shack, we were ordering batteries for Christmas in July. You know, you're figuring it out because you don't leave these things to chance. It's simple as that. So he comes up and he's starting to think of different ideas for Maison Blanche to have a, have a Christmas character. And Mr. Aline decides that, that what he doesn't want is another Santa Claus knockoff, if you will, like Uncle Mistletoe. So he's thinking something more, uh, basically something smaller. So he sketches a more childlike figure. And the concept is, begins as a small snowman. But a snowman, ah, you know, he, we got snowman, snowmen everywhere, that kind of thing. So he, so the snowman rapidly changes his look and uh, and his his feel. Uh, Alline takes the snow, takes a little, you know, small snowman. He gives him holly wings, wings of of you know of holly leaves, and then ah, that's looking good, right? Now we, you know, we we come in and we give him a big red, you know. Uh, ball nose we put a smile on his face and a couple of eyes we're looking pretty good here then he starts thinking okay he needs a hat let's say he's taking looking at the 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 ball the snowball of a head of this snow elf well you know if you if you turn it upside down it's kind of a you know ball of it's a it's a scoop of ice cream in some ways so he takes a uh one, basically a you know, regular cake uh, ice cream cone and turns it upside down and that becomes the hat of the snow elf. So you've got a small snowman with you know pudgy little legs, kind of big brown belly, and then a nice ice cream scoop for a head kind of look uh, with this, you know, with a big red nose and a smile, you know, happy smile for everybody and an ice cream cone hat. So it's looking really good. So that's his preliminary sketches. Now, of course, it's not his decision just to go forward, especially because, you know, you've kind of, you've worked up all your pitch and your plans and everything else and management is ready to go. And it's, 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 it's coming up on Christmas. We don't, you know, you don't make big changes now. You roll with what you've got. But he comes in and he takes the sketch that he does and he brings it to his boss who is uh mr herbert schwartz who at the time is president of maison blanche now if you've read the book or you know a little bit about uh about mb uh the founder of mb you know don't go looking i gotta change I, Jace, it's 10 years and i've been saying i'm gonna change that 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 wikipedia page but you get the idea um so uh most people think that the founder of Maison Blanche is Isidore Newman, as in the old guy who, you know, the German factor and investment banker who then uh, becomes a philanthropist. And uh, then he, you know, his money went towards starting what is now Isidore Newman School. But no, he would, Newman was the funder of Maison Blanche. The founder was his son-in-law who was named Simon J. Schwartz, and you should usually signed it S.J. Schwartz. So S.J. Schwartz is a, he's a merchant. 
his his uh, father is you know his father his brothers and you know the whole the the, the family are uh, big and uh, in uh, on you know uh, New Orleans retail. Uh, the family, the Schwartz family, had a store, or uh, at that point still had a store in uh, uh, the 700 block in the El Turo buildings. So, uh, so Simon, though, at uh, in the 1890s, splits off from the family. Uh, he says, "I'm gonna take gonna take my thing down to the 900 block in what was at the time the Mercier building." And uh, so he takes it. He he's ready to go down there. The uh, the Schwartz store has a has a terrible fire in eighteen on Valentine's Day of eighteen ninety two. Uh, but basically, Schwartz sets up and uh, sets up S J Schwartz and Company in not at nine hundred Canal. So from uh, uh, up as he's as the the eighteen nineties go forward by eighteen ninety seven, Schwartz has has secured the entire property. Uh, on the 901 Canal, you know, the uh, corner of Canal and Dauphine on the French Quarter side of Canal Street. He secured all the property. He uh, serves notice, you know, basically he's evicting all of the other merchants that had stores in that uh, that building. Because actually it was like three buildings that were like almost like townhouses, but like four stories high. So, um, so he secures the whole building knocks all the walls down, turns it into one big department store that opens up in October of 1897 as Maison Blanche. Fast forward 50 years later, now his son is running the store, Herbert Schwartz. So uh, so we have SJ, we have Simon Schwartz opening the store and then uh, you know running the store into the 20s and the 30s and then so his son is you know typical Jewish retail family his son follows in his footsteps and Herbert becomes the president of Maison Blanche so Emil Allein pitches this sketch to Herbert Schwartz who's the president and Schwartz goes yeah this is looking good. I, I I like this, but of course now they're both like, well, you know, he needs a name, and Aline was gonna defer to, yeah, you know, it's his his display. He's gonna he's got ideas and that kind of thing, I'm sure. But Herbert Herbert Schwartz is the one that comes up with the name, so he's starting to think, right? You know, it's like, you know, you got Uncle Mistletoe, uh, some Uncle something uh, as a kid, right? So. Uh, and then he starts thinking, well, Maison Blanche, M, B, M, B, Mr., Mr. Something. He's a jolly little snow elf. Let's call him Bingle. So that's where the whole thing comes from, Mr. Bingle. And that's that, that the rest, I don't want to say the rest is history because we're going to give you the history, but that's where it starts is he, Mr. Bingle has, he's got a look. He's got, he's got the, the hat. He's got the wings. He's good to go, at least as an illustration and a sketch for Christmas of 1947. So that's basically where that begins. Now, so the pup, the 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 snow elf has a name. He's got a look. We've got a concept. The store, uh, the store, basically the president of the department store has signed off on it. It's time to get to work on working Bingle into advertising. So 
Schwartz likes the, the little guy, right? You know, little hat, cute gloves, little bolo tie, candy cane for a walking stick. Everything's looking really good here. Now, of course, your stuff is planned out. There's really no doing something new and big when you're uh, when you're looking at uh, November. Uh, you know, you're 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 already locked in and that kind of thing. But we're dealing with a lot of very smart and creative people in these display and these art departments. So he gets the green light that yeah, we can use. Let's let's do something with this character. Uh, even though we've got a lot of stuff planned. And the big thing here is, you know, these these people, you know, the, the artists of a store's art department or display department, they're some of the most creative people in town. These are the folks who, who come up with ideas that make memories, you know, like, uh, or, or ideas that make money too. You know, like over at Krauss, you had uh, Phil Preddy, who was the, uh, basically, Aline's counterpart at Krauss. He comes up with the idea of the big six-foot letters that you could slide into this little rail that was on top of the, you know, the awning of the front of the store, and then basically just spell out messages on, you know, with lighted letters that were big and visible, and that became quite attractive at Krauss. And of course, uh, you know, Aline is 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 doing really, you know, creative things there. And it's not just the managers. Their people, creative people, want to work for these folks. It's particularly, you know, it's like you're, this is in the, in the late 40s. You've been off to war. Now you want to kind of, yeah, you're doing some things that are fun and getting paid to do it and that kind of thing. Fast forward about, you know, about, you know, maybe a decade later or so, you start getting, that's when, of course, uh, you know, Hollywood has always had people with, you know, in, in, incredible uh, creative desires and that kind of thing and the people that start doing that do this for a living they eventually get a name and it's uh, you know Disney gives them the name and of course he refers to them as his imagineers and the idea is that you know that the art department or, or a sketch artist or somebody can can come up with a a sketch but then turning that into something bigger or a you know, bigger concept to a display and advertising beyond just uh, that little sketch on a page, that becomes a thing. So create the creatives start thinking about these kind of things. Now for that first Christmas in, uh, in 1947, basically uh, Bingle isn't, Bingle becomes an addition to existing ads. And it wasn't like it was terribly difficult to do that because he's just this little snow elf. So you do things like, you know, take a, you've got a, a sketch like you can see on the show page. You know, you see see a sketch where it's uh, the, the Santa's uh, legs, you know, and basically the bottom of his coat and the big boots. And now you can see that basically somebody takes that, that uh, sketch of Santa and then draws Bingle into it so that Bingle is standing in between Santa's boots. And the caption, of course, says, Santa and Mr. Bingle arrived today at Maison Blanche. So it's that kind of thing where you can, you take that drawing that you already have and then, then draw Bingle into it. And we saw a lot of that in that first Christmas in 1947, where uh, you're um, basically you've got ad copy that's already that's already done, 
but let's take the little bingo guy. Now you've established that he's small because you, you know, you do these drawings next to, you know, comparison to being standing next to Santa. So you start out, you know, you can see that he's a small little guy and now they can pencil him in. They can, they can kind of draw him into existing ads and then there, well, that, that becomes, that's where it all starts, that kind of thing. So that first Christmas in 47, Bingle is really just two-dimensional on the page. He pops up in the corners of ads that have already been done and that kind of thing. But the, the, the proto-imagineers, you know, the creatives, they're already thinking, right? They're, they they kind of get the feel for this and they're like, you know, hey, if the, the, this little guy is cute, we can do things with this. And that's the idea. So after the 1947 holiday season, MB wanted a larger presence for the little snow elf. And so, you know, they're, they're, uh, Aline and his people have already started that. The big thing there, they're like, yeah, we need to work this guy into the, uh, the, dis the display windows. And so, so that means that Bingle has to come off the front, off the page as a two-dimensional drawing and become a three-dimensional snow elf. So Aline commissions a doll, basically about 15 inches high, and uh, the looks good, brings the, the prototype to the boss. Everybody loves the look of this little guy with the holly wings and the ice cream cone hat and the, the candy cane walking stick. It's just, it's an idea that's really rocking here. It's really, you know, catching on. Okay, so they, they do this, you know, start creating this and coming up with this idea. Uh, you know, you, you, your brain starts literally doing this uh, right away. So it's like, it's, it's already December, Christmas is rolling, but you know, the creatives, they, they're, they're not, they, they planned all that stuff they were doing out in, in the summer. So now their brains are ready for the, they're ready for the next thing. They're ready for the next, the next step. So as part of the development, they start saying, okay, uh, I, you know, let's, let's, let's put up this doll that looks good. Can we carry this a step further? And this is the part where I don't quite know. I mean, yeah, I don't know the full story of this, right? But um, the the folks who worked on Canal, you know, at MB Canal, uh, they, you know, they they're not they're quite familiar with the businesses that are around them, right? You know, it's like, uh, you know, while Bourbon Street these days, Bourbon Street in 1947 was nowhere near as kind of tawdry and the the whole, you know. Uh, there was no hustlers barely legal in 47, right? But what there were were nightclubs. And there were nightclubs that were, were jazz clubs. There were also clubs that offered burlesque shows. And those burlesque clubs, it wasn't like, you know, burlesque in the late 40s and the 50s going into the, even the 60s. These burlesque clubs weren't, they weren't nonstop strip clubs like they are now. You know, it's like, one one lady gets off the pole and another one gets on and hey you know that's how that's how strip clubs work that kind of thing burlesque on the other hand was much more of a performance and still is if you ever go to a modern burlesque show you know much more costuming much more thought to what they're doing with dance that kind of thing so somebody says you know 
Well, here, okay, well, let me back up before I get into that story. Um, so basically, you've got these burlesque acts, but they require a little a little time to set up and, and get going, and you want to intersperse something. You don't want to have just nonstop one gal come up and then the next one come up. You want to be able to spread it out a little bit because that way people stay around longer. They buy another drink. They're relaxed. They're having a good time. It's that kind of environment. So you see that uh, interspersed between the burlesque dancers, you start uh, the, the clubs start putting in vaudeville acts, maybe a comedian, maybe uh, even a possibly even like a small jazz combo. You know, not a full jazz nightclub, but you know, some you know you get somebody who doesn't have a, a regular gig or new to town or whatever. They 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 play a little bit, that kind of thing. So. Uh, Basically, you start getting these combinations. Now, you know that the guys that worked at MB were not, you know, they, they, they knew what these clubs were all about down on Bourbon Street. So you can, you know, you got to wonder, you know, is it, is it Mr. Alline himself or one of his guys, one of his ladies? I don't know. You know, somebody says, hey, you know what? There's this guy. He works down on Bourbon at one of the nightclubs. He is a puppeteer. And he comes out and he does, you know, a, you know, puppet show. And sometimes they, sometimes they're a little risque because, you know, you could do things in an adult club. You could say things in an adult club that maybe you didn't hear. You know, you wouldn't put do in the display window on Canal Street. But nonetheless, there was this puppeteer that caught their eye. And his name was Edward Harmon Eisentrout. And Eisentrout went by Oscar professionally. So they're like, yeah, there's this guy, Oscar, down on Bourbon Street. He does puppets. And of course, that's got Aline's attention. And again, whether Aline knew him personally, you know, knew of him because he'd been to the club or somebody else, I don't know. But one way or the other, they connect, right? They go talk, they go, they go down the street and go meet Oscar. And Oscar's got a whole bunch of different puppets and bits and everything else. And so they they get him back up to the store, show him the bingle, the prototype bingle. And he looks and he, yeah, that's a good size and everything else. And so he suggests to Aline that he commission a couple of marionettes of the puppet. You've got the prototype. We can photograph this. We could even send it if we had to because... Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So the the prototype then, uh, basically what they do is uh, Oscar Eisentrout recommends a puppet manufacturing, marionette maker in Germany. And so they negotiate with the Germans and then they decide to go ahead and let's make two puppets that look like the prototype doll that the, the store had already worked up and everybody really liked. So they build out those puppets and they're ready to go for the 1948 Christmas season. And what happens is, of course, is that, of course, you've, they're marionettes, right? They're, they're these little 15-inch puppets. They've got the, you know, they've, they, they look like Bengals. They are the Bengals we know at that point. So, um, but of course they need somebody to, to work the strings. You know, it's got the, the little cross pieces of wood that you see that a marionette has. And then the puppeteer works 
the movements of the arms and the mouth and everything depending on how they, they jiggled the, the, the strings attached to it. So naturally they hire Oscar. They're like, you know, dude, you know, would you like regular work at, at Christmas time? You know, and he's a, you know, well, of course he's, he's gigging, right? You know, you could store closes. He could still go work on Bourbon Street, that kind of thing, because it's, you know, day, night that sort of thing. So, so he takes this on and he says, yeah, this is a great idea. And that's that audio you heard at the top of the show is they would, they set up a, a little stage on in, in the display window on the canal street, uh, you know, front of the, the store and then went ahead and, and started doing a little high. I hope you like our, our store. You know, why don't you come upstairs to the third floor in the toy department and come see Santa, and he'll sing a little song, and the puppet will move up and down and wave to people and dance a little bit. Happy little snow elf guy. This is looking real good. You know, it's like the, the management's starting to think this is nice. So um, so the creatives moved pretty quickly in that uh, you know early part of 48 gearing up for the Christmas season. They work all this up. And so now the greatest store south has... A show has a basically a live show that becomes part of the Christmas season and part of going down, uh, uh, going uh, into town. Now, the um, when the puppets were commissioned, you notice they they commissioned one plus a backup, and that was probably a prudent idea, especially particularly when the, the you know these things are coming from Germany, right? So it's a, it's a good idea to get started with that. Uh, at the same time, in, in 47 and 48, the store has plans now, you know, big plans that are being implemented to uh, expand. At that point, you know, coming through the war, the store had only the one location on at 901 Canal. And so after the war, it's like, yeah, you know, these suburbs are growing. In particular, uh, you know, uh, Mid-City is growing out even more. Uh People who lived uptown or in what is now Central City or the Ninth Ward, you know, you, 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 you were 18, 19, and you went off to war. You come back home, you're 23, 24. You don't really want to live with mom and dad anymore in the Ninth Ward. And it's getting a little small in that house anyway. You want to get on your own, start a family. So you see a lot of folks moving to Mid-City. And then the big one, of course, was moving to Gentilly. And that's where... Uh, Maison Blanche sets up two new stores. The first was at the corner of of uh, South Carrollton. It's actually a three-way corner, right? It's South Carrollton and Tulane meet. And then on the western side of South Carrollton, it's no longer Tulane Avenue, but that becomes Airline Highway. And so that's that's the idea is that, you know, that's a, a, a really good place for a retail development or a retail expansion. And so that's that's the idea there. We start seeing the the stores start uh, the stores start kicking in, and uh, now we've got that store, and then the um, the chain. Well, now chain, yeah, it's fair to say it's a chain. Maison Blanche then also opened up a second store just off of Elysian Fields and Gentilly Road in the Gentilly neighborhood, and that store was right off of uh, it was on the the lakeside of Gentilly, right off of Frenchman, and. Um, and so that store opens up, and that's the, the, the second uh, suburban store, second expansion store. 
So the two puppets now had uh, basically a, a strategy more than just a backup that one puppet stayed down at the Canal Street store. But then the other puppet, they said, Oscar, take this puppet, put it in the trunk of your car, and then you can drive over to uh, the Carrollton store. You can drive out to the Gentilly store and do things there as well. So Bingle goes on the road so that, you know, basically we, you know, uh, pretty much at the same time as, as he's coming out, he's going to the other stores and then. Uh, you know, you've got the Santas at the other stores and you've got toy departments. So naturally, Oscar coming out and doing a little bit of a show a couple times a week, that was definitely kicking in and a good idea. So that's the, the original, um, that's kind of the, the beginning phases, you know, the, 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 the two-dimensional turning the sketch into working it into ad copy and then from ad copy to the 3D puppets and Oscar doing the shows so that Bingle becomes a thing. He's becoming popular. Let's take a bit of a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what a lot of people's most early, you know, common early memories are of Mr. Bingle. And that's the, uh, that's the commercials. That's the, TV, the, uh, the, the television commercials. Usually, as we take a break between segments and transition a little bit, we, you know, of course, I always will say, you know, No History Guy is sponsored this week by, and usually it's the Legion Fields Press where I make sure I tell you, go buy my books and all of that kind of stuff. But I want to take a quick moment to uh, mention that come starting in January, we're going to see you're going to see some some changes to the NOLA History Guy Facebook page, uh, rather the NOLA History Guy website, as well as with NOLA History Guy podcast. And specifically, we're going to start taking the uh, support of the website via Patreon seriously. I've had the Patreon thing set up for ages and just never really did anything with it. But we're going to start using it quite regularly now coming into the new year. And that's going to be in two places. You know, usually I try to put up a picture or two a day on social media. That's now going to kind of go through the web page, as it were, so that, you know, you come to NOLA History Guy on Facebook, the Facebook page, or you go to New Orleans Uncovered. <clears throat> and of course, on Twitter, we'll be tweeting back to the website. Uh, you know, I do the daily picture and would say a little something about the photo, that kind of thing. Uh, still going to do that, but it's going to go through the website. And what's going to happen is usually, you know, you write something, a sentence or two about the photo. That's all going to be available. But the post, the rest of the post, which each one of the photos is now going to have uh, uh, more detail, uh, 300 plus words or so. But the first 100 words or so are going to be available on the web page. But to read the full article, you need to be a Patreon support or a supporter of NOLA History Guy on Patreon. And the minimum level for that is a dollar a month, basically. And that, that's how that's going to work. Uh, for the podcast, we're always going to do one pod. We're going to do one podcast a month, and those are planned out. So it's going to be, uh, we really are going to do it this time, kind of thing. Where it's going to be one podcast a month will be just put up and shared in an open environment. The second podcast of the month, though, will be for 
Patreon supporters or you know basically our patrons. Now that's going to be a little bit different than the than the photos. You know the images and you know a story a day that kind of thing. That's going to be a dollar a month uh, for support. But what we're going to do with the um, what we're going to do uh, with the podcast is uh, there's a there's will basically get technical. There's an option I can set where it's like so long as you've donated anything ever to NOLA History Guy via Patreon. You, know, you sign up for a month, you, you, you support us with a dollar, and then you decide to cancel it the next month. Well, you won't be able to read the detail after that on the, um, on the, the, the photos and the stories that we talk about. But you'll uh, basically then you'll be able to, to hear that second pod, listen to that second podcast with no problem because it's basically you made a contribution of any kind at any point and then you'll have access to that second podcast. So uh, again, if you if you, if if you don't like this or something, send me some feedback on this. It's like you know that kind of thing. Uh, you know, please let's talk about it. You know, it's at Nola History Guy on all social media, uh, Edward at ebrandley.com on uh, for the email, and let me know because I, I I'm excited about this though because it's kind of kind of motivate everything. I'm hoping we can get. Uh, a couple of hundred one dollar a month supporters then i can pay for a real producer i can pay dara as an editor to get things a little cleaned up better and just in general make this thing work a little you know a little more professional as it goes along so that's our our and our, our big announcement we'll have more about this i'm you know, going to be writing some stuff about it on the website but you know come january 1st the pictures yeah if you want the full story Eh, you kind of need to, to, to join us now on Patreon and support us a little bit. So thanks for your patience on that. And let's keep talking about Mr. Bingle. Feels wonderful. Well, <laughs> so, but tell me a story, please. 
All right. What would you like to hear? Well, uh, tell me a story about uh, me. All right, Mr. Bingo. I'll tell you the story about your life. Once upon a time, oh, a long time ago, way up in the land of ice and snow, a very wonderful thing happened. What? When Santa left his shop one day, he found a snowman by his sleigh. <laughs> You'll be my helper now, he said, and tapped the little fellow's head. The snowman found that he could talk. Look, Santa, I can even walk. And then he gave a little sigh. Oh, how I wish that I could fly. So Santa gave him Hollywood. And looking through his Christmas things, found ornaments the very size to make a pair of shining eyes. Then Santa said, hmm, you need a hat. An ice cream cone just right for that. And keep this candy cane with you. You'll see what magic it can do. <laughs> the snowman laughed and sang the jingle. So Santa named him Mr. Bingo. And that's how they came to be each year. At Maison Blanc with Christmas cheer. And that's just how it happened, Rose May. That's why I love Christmas. Because it means so much to me. And I know it means so much to everyone else, too. And I hope that this year, Christmas means more and more to everybody. Because Santa and I are working so hard to make it just right. And I want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas from everyone at Maison Blanc and Santa Claus and me. Goodbye, everybody, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Rosemary. And a Merry Christmas to you, Mr. Bingo. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Bingo. Okay, and we're back. Let's keep going with Mr. Bingle's history now. And, of course, uh, moving into the 50s means the growth of television in the United States. And television audiences grew across the country in the early 1950s. New Orleans is no stranger to this. And naturally, the stores, its it, everybody wants a little bit of television ads. You know, you have radio programming. Radio programming was easy, right? Because you could play a jingle and Oscar could do a voiceover and that was cool, right? But now we, MB is saying, hey, we can, we can put the puppet on TV. And that was where the whole relationship got started. Well, that's where the memories got started for a lot of people. So Oscar's traveling puppet show is going from Canal to Mid-City to Carrollton Avenue out to Jet Tilly, and it's, you know, it's catching on. That's, that's, uh, people are loving, they love the character. To this day, they love the character. So everything's working out well in, uh, in that respect. So now it becomes, hey, Oscar, we'd like you to do some television commercials. Well, you know, the, the, the guy's a vaudeville performer, do, you know, and we're talking about, you know, doing things for, for TV, early TV, this isn't going to be a big problem. Maison Blanche expands their ad strategy to include TV ads. And the, the, then, of course, naturally, Oscar and Mr. Bingle 
go to television. And specifically, they go to WDSU-TV, which is Channel 6 in New Orleans. And Oscar would perform live. He'd do live commercials during the, the morning cartoons, children's programming at the time. And you know the idea here. This is baby boom, right? So it's like you've got uh, you've got little kids in the house, maybe little kids, kids that are a little bit older that are going off to school. Mom is, is probably still a stay-at-home mom, but dad's getting ready to go to work. Mom's got to get the kids organized to go to school. The last thing that, you know, well, dad's off, right? He's off to go catch the streetcar, that kind of thing. But the last thing mom needs is the kids bugging her when she's trying to get the lunches ready and get, you know, kids out to the bus, walk them down to whatever. So what do you do? It's typical of baby boomer parents. You park the kid in front of the TV and let them watch cartoons. And all of the, 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 all, of the, all three of the stations, you know, four, six, and eight at the time did this. You had, uh, basically you had, um, uh, uh, half an hour, an hour of cartoons, you know, in that 6.30, 7.30, coming up to 8 o'clock uh, time period. And then by 8 o'clock, you got the Today Show on, on NBC and that, you know, you had adult programming starting off the day. But during that time, well, geez, can you think of anything better than a visit from Mr. Bingle coming into the Christmas season? So what happens, of course, basically Oscar starts doing kind of, the same type of pitch, uh, the same type of show that you would see in the front window at MB Canal. So they they set up a little stage with a little set. The camera zooms in, focuses in on the puppet. But of course you don't, you know, just like any good puppet show, you don't see the puppeteer. He's behind a screen or a barrier. So, you know, we uh, Oscar's ready, set, and good to go. So the, uh, the, the station works with the, the, the company, uh, works with the store. They come up with the jingle, jangle, jingle, bing, uh, 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 jingle, an intro for the commercial that you just heard uh, at, the, you know, at, the, uh, at the start of this little segment. So that, that just took off like nobody's business, right? You know, jingle, jangle, jingle. And then you get the, the, the jingle ends and here comes you know, uh, switch to, you know, to, to the, the puppet switch from a, uh, a logo of the store or, you know, uh, you know, pasteboard, you know, with store and the address and everything, then switch cut to the puppet. And here's the puppet talking. Hey kids, it's a great day. Be sure to be good. So Santa take fills you up with toys from his sleigh and all of that kind of talk, you know, just the kind of thing, entertainment, uh, be sure to tell your parents to come down to, to Maison Blanche at, uh, you know, on the third floor at 901 Canal and come walk through the Enchanted Wonderland and visit Santa. And, of course, and I'll be there, right? Because, of course, he was when, um, when Oscar wasn't on the road or something like that. You know, it's 7 in the morning. He, store's not open yet, right? It was, you know, busy time for Oscar. It was good money. Um, well, I, I assume it was good money. I have never thought to ask if... I've never, I have to find out if Oscar was truly happy doing all this stuff or if it was just a gig. So anyway, um, so Oscar is, 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 is now, well, Bingle is a TV personality and that's kind of how that goes. Oscar, uh, then just does stuff with the puppet. So throughout the fifties, 
going into the 60s, you see, you know, these these commercials. I can remember, so if I'm a kid in 62, 63, and the commercials are still going, uh, that's that's the whole idea here. It's interesting that um, that in particular, the D.H. Holmes never developed a character, and I think what happened is that by then, you know, by the by, especially by the by the the early to mid 60s, Bingle now is 20 years old at that point. So when I'm a kid. Well, let, you know, it's 62, 63. Uh, I'm, you know, I was born in, uh, in 58. So, you know, that's 15 years on. And while D.H. Uh, Holmes had really nice displays and a fantastic toy department and an incredibly loyal customer base, they never did the Christmas character. I'm not surprised that the Krauses didn't do one because their focus was on... Uh, was on discounts and value more than trying to entice you in to buy something that might have been a bit pricier. Gachos, same kind of thing. It was more of, uh, I don't want to say, not fair to say couture, but uh, again, you know, it's a, a different market kind of thing that you're looking, looking for a, a dress or going to get a new suit or something. It was different from the other stores. So really, Maison Blanche just dominated the the Christmas visibility, you know, Holmes, Holmes and Gachos in particular, Marks Isaacs, these other stores, they they did well. Don't get me wrong, everybody had different likes and tastes. Maybe you didn't care for the you know men's department at MB, but everybody knew Mr. Bingle, and so is that kind of thing. <clears throat> so this all starts in '48 and literally runs almost 40 years because well. Uh, it, it, the, 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 the run here of, of the Bingle puppet and that kind of thing is all about Oscar. Now, Oscar passes away in April of 1985, but he was doing the puppet. There's a, a picture we have on the show page of Oscar performing with Bingle in 1984. And that was based on the, uh, that was the 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 event. It's actually it's a it's a Nell Nolan social scene column from '84 where Bing uh, uh, Maison Blanche had uh, been acquired at that point by the Gachos chain. It's Gachos chain. Uh, it's G O U D C H A U X. The folks from Baton Rouge, the Sternbergs, and um, and they acquire Maison Blanche. And it becomes Gacho Maison Blanche, which never, which never worked. It was always MB here in New Orleans, that kind of thing. So uh, basically, uh, so this is 1984, and there's this this uh, social scene, Nell Nolan column, where it's one of those, you know, uh, typical social scene column where it's pictures of all the people who uh, spent money to go to this charity event. And it's, look at Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so having a chat with Mrs. So-and-so who is on the organization committee for this event. And so you get pictures like that all through it. And then there's a picture of Oscar Eisentrout with Bingle because if MB was one of the big sponsors of the Gachos, the Sternbergs were a big sponsor of this particular charity event. So naturally they brought out Bingle for this. So you kind of... You know, that's that's basically, you know, the, kept going with it all the way, literally uh, at that point, almost up till he passes away. <clears throat> so 
So sadly for everybody uh, that's a Bingo fan, Oscar passes away on July 25th, 1985. And he's, uh, he was laid to rest at Hebrew Rest uh, Cemetery out in Gentilly, which is literally two blocks away from the uh, original Gentilly store. The first Gentilly store there was, you know, just a couple blocks off of Elysian Fields. That store grew uh, to the point where, or well, the, the popularity grew that when uh, Gentilly Wood Shopping Center was opened further down the street on Gentilly, you know, um, past, just past just past the New Orleans uh, Baptist Theological Cemetery, uh, Seminary and the, um, and the train tracks of the underpass. And so the, the Gentilly Wood Shopping Center opened up. Maison Blanche uh, expanded. Basically, they took the big Gentilly store. They made, they made a new store in Gentilly Wood Shopping Center, the big Gentilly store. And then the original store became a budget store. And then the Gentilly Wood store faded into, in, into Never Never Land with the opening of the plaza at Lake Forest in 1974. And so now the move to the mall uh, at that point had been complete. So you had downtown, you have the uh, downtown, the mall in New Orleans East, the mall in Mattery, uh, uh, kind of that's basically the, 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 the movement and the growth uh, uh, at that point. And, um, and the other stores, the budget stores and everything. So it had been come over those almost 40 years since Oscar, uh, 37 years since Oscar took up the puppet, the bingo puppet, and started doing the character. The store had changed incredibly, but Oscar was a part of it, and bingo was a part of it, and people just love that. Looking back, you know, in '85, you know, I was in my, in, you know, I was in my 20s. Uh, I'm, you know, just loving every minute of it. <clears throat> and of course, it was just sad that you know that that Oscar passed. So they lay him to rest in uh, in Hebrew Rest Cemetery there in Gentilly, uh, two blocks uh, down the street from my high school, Brother Martin High School, formerly Courier Zoo. Um, and uh, it, it, there's a, a story there because initially Oscar's grave was uh, was I, I don't it's hard to say it was unmarked it was barely marked. I mean everybody knew that was where Oscar was laid to rest, but he didn't have a decent tombstone because he didn't have a lot of money and he didn't have any family to 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 set that up. So that becomes another story of raising the funds to uh, to set up a tombstone for Oscar. And it's, you know, there's a picture of it on the show page. Thank you, Mr. Dominic Massa, for, uh, for, uh, let, you know, for that photo. Uh, by the way, if you've heard the name Dominic Massa, you might have at one point or another. Uh, Dominic wrote two of, uh, two, of the, two of my favorite of the Arcadia books, the Images of America books on New Orleans. Uh, there's New Orleans Radio and New Orleans Television. And naturally, there is a guy in there that uh, we've been talking about now all this time. Uh, is a bit of an appearance in the television book because, yeah, bingo was a thing, right? So the bingo puppets, they're still with us, um, uh, even though Oscar passed away. And uh, the, they weren't really used at that point. It really wasn't necessary. The, the puppets themselves, you know, it's like, wasn't like there was somebody to take up the mantle from Oscar of working the puppets from a display and advertising standpoint. Now we're into the 80s. We uh, animation is a different story. Uh, voiceovers, the whole thing, you know, uh, digital is starting to take a, a, a make a foothold so that it's easy to make a TV commercial 
with Bingo flying through the air waving the candy cane or something like that. Um, so we didn't really, you know, have that kind of, uh, you know, um, basically that was, that's, that's the, 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 uh, the strategy by that point. So the, the puppets themselves uh, take a back seat to all the other more modern advertising. So there were the two puppets, and of course, uh, there's the puppet that was in the store that kind of stayed at 901 Canal, and there were, then there was the puppet that, that Oscar traveled with and kept at home, and uh, that puppet came into possession of one of Oscar's friends, uh, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Kent, and so he kind of inherited the Bengal puppet that was Oscar's, if you will. Uh, that puppet was a keepsake of his, basically. But unfortunately, you know, let's fast forward a little bit now to 2005, and that the 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 puppet that was the the traveling puppet uh, is is at Mr. Kent's house, but it gets his house gets the Katrina flood, and the puppet itself gets was a was a uh, was was a flood a, a, basically a flood victim of Katrina. And the, the biggest problem was that the, you know, the, the puppet got water, the frame in the metal frame inside the puppet rusted, and the orange from the rust bled out into the white, uh, fleecy, floofy stuff that was the puppet itself. So he was a mess, right? So Kent was, you know, he, he's, he's sad, right? This is, thing's a mess, right? But he wants to, he wants to restore the puppet. So he, he starts the project, and at the time, he's working for WVUE, Channel 8, and he's working, you know, you got to strip the puppet down, then either, you know, uh, you know clean, clean the whole thing out, replace parts of the, 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 the fabric of the puppet that can't be replaced. It's a slow go if you're doing this as a, as a side thing, you know, even if would probably be incredibly probably just have another one made that kind of thing if you were going to take it back to the to the marionette people or something but anyway so so kent works on this he painstakingly gets the 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 puppet back to its original condition now over time what happens is that um you know it when anything with a side gig sometimes people need a little nudge or a little you know encouragement and that kind of thing and for kent that came from the WVUE weather uh, uh, meteorologist, Mr. Bob Breck. Now, Bob is now like, well, you know, there was, well, there was Nash, and then there was uh, Al Duckworth and Don Westbrook, and, you know, uh, now, and then, of course, Bob Breck came along. Nash had gone to Channel 4, and Bob Breck took over as the guy, uh, you know, the, 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 the meteorologist at, at uh, WVUE at Channel 8. And um, so Bob became, basically for years, Bob was the dean of the New Orleans Meteorology Circle, which the dean is now the lovely and talented and charming and absolutely wonderful on Twitter, Margaret Orr, who is at WDSU as their senior meteorologist. And uh, so, but anyway, Bob Breck is, he's, he would, he's that guy that comes in, hey, how's it going with the puppet? So, yeah, things going good. So he's encouraging, he's, you know, basically, encouraging trying to motivate mr kent to to keep the project going because you know he gets that you know he he gets bingle at that point so uh eventually the the puppet gets get, gets restored kent gets it going and what's one of the first things that happens he makes his television debut 
you know, his television uh, return on the Channel 8 News, uh, you know, the Fox 8, uh, uh, well, were they Fox 8 at the time? They might have been. Uh, Channel 8, yeah, they were Fox 8 at the time. Yeah, but anyways, uh, returns basically, and Bob Breck reintroduces the Mr. Bingle Puppet to New Orleans at the top of the weather one evening on Channel 8. And so the puppet is is kind of back, but it's in private hands and that kind of thing. But now, hey, you know, the store is in, store's gone too, so it's a different story. So what about the other puppet? Okay, so there's two, remember? There's the one that, um, that Oscar had that becomes Mr. Kent's that, you know, gets restored, and that's a wonderful thing. What about the other puppets? So at the time, now I'm writing this book in 2009, 2010-ish or so. And, um, and I'm, of course, I'm telling people, hey, you know, you got, you got, uh, uh, you've got MB memories, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, friends of mine, friends of the family, everything who worked at MB coming back and telling me stories and everything. So I had another friend who did not work at Maison Blanche, but with friends, was friends with someone else who did. And my friend told me a story. And he said that the second puppet, the Canal Street puppet, was still around. And according to the story, an individual took possession of the puppet when Dillard's acquired Maison Blanche. Now, this story is very similar to a D.H. Holmes story involving Dillard's, and that's the story of the Holmes clock. And of course, you know, uh, at, at D.H. Holmes, uh, you had the, 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 the clock that had just become famous uh, for, you know, a, a number of things that, you know, basically uh, two guys took the clock from the front of the D.H. Holmes store in the 800 block of Canal Street, fearing that Dillard's, the company Dillard's, would not take the tradition of meeting me, of meet me under the clock at Holmes's seriously. And so they removed the clock, and then they basically, they, they took custody of the clock. And then later, as Dillard's sold the building, they sold the building. It was converted into a hotel in the 800 block. And um, they, when the hotel was back, they then brought the clock back to the owners of the management of the hotel. And the, the, um, the clock then was, was hung up, was returned uh, to uh, inside the lobby bar in the hotel that was the D.H. Holmes store on Canal Street. And then eventually the hotel commissions a statue of Ignatius J. Riley, the main character of John Kennedy Toole's novel, A Confederacy of Dunces. And Riley was, Riley and his mama, you know, because always he talks about his mama completely through the book, right? And Ignatius would uh, bring his mama down to Canal Street and then she would do her shopping and then he would uh, he would do she would do her shopping. He would do whatever he was doing. And then he would come back and meet her under the clock at Holmes's for lunch or to pick her up and bring her home. That kind of thing. The clock was immortalized at that point. I mean, even without the novel, it probably still would have been a pretty big thing. So you can just imagine, you know, if you've got somebody, if the Holmes's clock vanishes when Dillard's takes over the store. You can now imagine that, it, uh, was it two years later, Dillard's acquires Maison Blanche. 
and they want the stores, but they don't want Canal Street. In other words, they, you know, basically what they did was they, you know, there was a DH home store out in the plaza at Lake Forest. They actually closed the home store and then opened the Dillard's at, uh, on the MB side. And so you've got that, then the, you know, the, the, the store in the Esplanade, the homes in Esplanade became uh, a Dillard's and the one at Lakeside became a Dillard's. But they, they basically, they had said, we're not interested in doing anything with the Canal Street location. So they were going to sell it. And yeah, you know, at that point, it's just hotels, just hotels, more are on though. You know, that, that's, that's Benny and the hotels and yeah, losing the stores in, on, on the main street, you know, the high street. So, um, so, so here's, so back to my friend. My friend tells me that he's got a friend and this individual, again, takes possession of the, 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 this individual takes the puppet home. And now, according to my friend, I'm told that basically the caretaker of the second puppet doesn't want to be identified. And my friend would not give up. I, he wouldn't give up the name and I didn't even press him for it because he's a friend. And, but basically the, the, the assumption is that when the caretaker of the puppet passes away so that that individual cannot be the subject of anybody's recriminations or whatever, that the second puppet will reappear. Yeah, it sounds like a, I sound like a Catholic apparition story, right? You know, the, the, the puppet will repeat will, will reappear in the future no but honestly that's the story I've been told so both if that second story is is accurate and has continued to be accurate from 10 years ago both puppets are still with us and that's a wonderful thing but of course there's another piece to the bingle story and, and that's more than just the doll the original doll that became the model for the puppets and then the puppets and then anything animated on TV and the, the other story is the big bingle. And we'll take another break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the big bingle. Okay, so sadly, Oscar has passed away. The concept, the, the character of Mr. Bingle just simply do, cannot and does not die. You know, it's just, that's the way it goes. But throughout the life of Maison Blanche nobody you know the store certainly didn't want Bingle to die he was a thing and he was a big deal and he was became just an incredible part of the store's displays marketing and uh marketing and just everything about Christmas advertising for Maison Blanche was tied into Mr. Bingle. To give you an idea, basically, instead of, you know, stores would have Santa come on his sleigh, you know, Macy's, that's always the thing, is that the Christmas shopping season officially opens when Santa comes at the end of the Thanksgiving Day Parade, that kind of thing. So um, in uh, uh, 1950, uh, there's an, in, on the show page, we display an ad of how Maison Blanche would, would, would uh, pull this off or, you know, did this in conjunction with their advertising. So what they did at that time was uh, uh, basically what would happen is that Mr. Bingle and Santa Claus would arrive in New Orleans via airplane. And in particular, the store partnered up with Eastern Airlines 
I don't know if you remember Eastern Airlines, but yeah, they were they were a big thing until they went out of business in the 70s. Uh, or was yeah, it was the 70s for Eastern. Um, so Santa Claus, basically the, the, the airline uh, partners up with the store. And so what they do is they get a Santa and they get, he's holding a bingo puppet or, you know, a bingo, uh, a bingo plushie or, you know, something, something along those lines. And so Santa and Mr. Bingle get on a plane. The plane takes off from, you know, basically go to, go out to the hangar, right? They don't do this in the, in the terminal or anything, right? But they, you know, the plane, uh, you know, flies off and goes off for an hour. And so at nine o'clock, like in this particular, uh, on this is a full page ad in the Times-Picayune on uh, uh, November 6th, 1953. So that's the, 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 that's the Thursday or Friday. I'd have to look back the exact date, probably the Friday, the day before this. So the advertisement, of course, says Santa Claus and Mr. Bingle arrive Saturday, 9 a.m. at the Moisant Airport. Still was the Moisant Airport at the time. And they come in on an Easter, they land on an Eastern Airlines plane, they pull up, you know, roll up the steps, and down come Santa and Bingle. And then there's a big motorcade to bring them, you know, you know, kind of a parade, but more of a motorcade than anything else. Come down Airline Highway to Tulane, into to Tulane Avenue, into town. And so that, you know, basically that was the idea. There was even a year in, it was in the 60s. I'd have to go back and look for sure. But Bingle arrived on Canal Street via helicopter. And you got to love this one. They take a helicopter. Now, at the time, remember, this is in the 60s. You could get away with this. The largest building in the area, you had to go back over to, um, had to go back over to, to the uh, Carondelet Canyon where you had the uh, uh, Hibernia Bank and, and the American Bank buildings. But you come in, come in around over the French Quarter, this is no big deal because the MB building is 13 stories high and there's nothing more than four or five stories on Canal Street and certainly nothing in the quarter really of that height. So they bring a helicopter in and they hover the helicopter over the roof of the uh, over the roof of the MB on Canal, and they land a doll. They lower a Bengal doll from the helicopter down to the roof, and so Bengal arrives by helicopter. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you see with Bengal. You know that that sort of thing. So now, by the 80s, of course, the the um, you know the the, the advertising. And, and creativity here is getting is getting really, really interesting. And um, now that's at the point where what we affectionately call in New Orleans, you know, the big bingle makes his first appearance. But it's the the big bingle that we know that now is in custody of New Orleans City Park and part of Celebration in the Oaks. That big bingle was not the first appearance of Mr. Bingle on the front of the store. Back into the late 40s and into the early 50s, the store would put up on the front, you know, basically covering the, the second and the third floors. You know, the second floor of Maison Blanche when it was a store was basically stockroom and warehouse space. So it had incredibly high ceilings, and you'll see that. If you go out, go down and look at the Ritz, and you'll see that the second floor of the of the hotel, which you know was the store, is much higher than the third fourth up 
into the office buildings. You know, those have decent retail ceilings and everything, but basically the, the second floor was huge because of these big stock rooms and everything. So there was no windows, of course, because this was just, this was not customer, wasn't retail space. So it was easy to put up displays that covered up the uh, sections in between the big columns on the second floor. And so over, uh, basically, you know, anything from going back to like, you know, 1918 and putting up uh, war bonds, uh, liberty bonds type uh, promotions and, you know, war effort stuff in the Second World War. Uh, by, the by the late 40s and, the, and, you know, now that Bingle's a thing, the art department and Alliance display department get together and they start putting up giant, uh, giant uh, plywood, you know, wooden uh, figures that, uh, you know, two-dimensional, of course, of Santa and Mr. Bingle. And they put these up on the second floor, basically, you know, this, this is a, you know, 20, you know, 20 uh, foot-ish type uh, display figures in two dimension. So you had this giant bingle there before the big bingle that anybody who's around now, you know, now still, still knows and loves and everything else. But by the 80s, you know, just that two dimensional type thing wasn't really cutting it. You know, by the 80s where, you know, um, you've got, you know, the first, well, the big thing is the crew of Bacchus is already 15 years old and Blaine Kern's making these incredible floats for the parade. You know, you had Bacchusaurus and Bacchuapa and, you know, all that incredible, you know, stuff working with, with styrofoam, fiberglass, et cetera, et cetera. So the store commissions a big bingle. And I mean big, like, again, uh, he's like, uh, like 15, 16 feet, 20 feet, uh, long, high, depending on how you want to look at it. He's not standing, though. He's a flying bingle so that his feet are higher. If you look at the show page, it's the very first photo is one of my pictures of the big bingle from when the store was still around in the 90s. And uh, and you can see he's flying through the air. He's His his feet are higher than his head. He's got the... Um, He's got his holly wings, his ice cream cone hat, his big red nose, the red and white gloves, and he's holding the candy cane and waving to all the boys and girls. And then next to it, there's a big sign right under the MB sign announcing the story. There's a big sign that says the story of Mr. Bingle. And it tells you, well, the story of Mr. Bingle. And that little, that, that big Bingle became a thing. Now it's Basically, it's the same idea now as kids wanting to go down to see uh, Oscar's dis uh, show in the display window. Now, the 80s generation of kids, of course, want to go downtown to see Mr. Bingle waving at them in front of the MB Canal store. And of course, by now you've got Bingle everywhere with Bingle dolls, Bingle puppets. The store would release an annual, Dillard still does to this day, you know, like dated uh, Bingles, you know, annual uh, stuffed Bingles that come through and everything else. So anything from the, the, the big deal of flying into the airport, coming down on a helicopter, and now of course, Big Bingle up on the store that carries all the way through until uh, basically till 1998 when the store closes. So in 1998, the store closes. Uh, Dillard's acquires the well, actually, 
uh, what happened was, of course, is that um, when you know they they acquire this, uh, Dillard's acquires Maison Blanche department stores, so of course they acquire the rights to Bingle, and the they they're closing down the 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 store, so it's not real. They don't consider it the Canal Street store theirs or part of their their location, their chain. So, but they own Big Bingle, so their first attempt was in 1999 to do something. Uh, else with the big bingle so what they did was basically you know the 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 store uh the dh homes in uh lakeside mall on uh you know clearview and veterans the the homes store out there was was big you know it was it's it was still is a big dillard's you know so um so the dillard's folks thought they could take big bingle and hang big bingle on the dillard's store that used to be the Holmes's store. Well, it didn't, it last, it only worked for a year. Okay. And it's unclear why the tradition failed. There's nothing, there's no story of that from the Dillard's folks, but it didn't work out. I suspect that a lot of people had the same feeling that I did at the time. And that was that it was just blasphemy. I mean, was it, you know, first off, it wasn't the location they hung it on wasn't even and originally a Maison Blanche. It was a Holmes's store. And then now it's not, you know, well, that would be wrong because D.H. Holmes wasn't Mr. Bingle. It wasn't M.B. It wasn't Maison Blanche. But that's, that would be wrong in itself. It, would, it, it was worse in a way because it's not only is it going in, on a home store, but then it's these out of towners, you know, because they're from they're from Arkansas, they're from Little, Dill, you know, the Dillards are are from Little Rock, so and they're putting up this. Then you're like, no, this isn't right, you know. It's like the, uh, it's like, it, and it was about the same time because it was 1999. I went, I had to go on a uh, a business trip, uh, you know, training. I had to go to a training class for a client of you know it was uh, it was a, a firm I did some work for. They did programming and they needed somebody trained up on a particular accounting package. And this company was in Fargo, North Dakota. And I can't remember the, the chain up there. Somebody remembers the big department store chain up in Fargo, North Dakota. Please ping me on social media somewhere and let me know what the name was. I can't remember for the life of me. But what were they doing? They were selling bingle stuffed, you know, stuffed bingles, right? Like, like MB had done and Dillard's did and still continues to do. But people are like, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's bingle. We love bingle. We, I want my kid to have a bingle, but I'm not going to tell them I got it from Dillard's or whatever the heck that place in Fargo was, that kind of thing. So you get the idea. So big bingle goes into storage, but he doesn't go bingle. Mr. Bingle himself does not go away because the, the big place you see him, even though, uh, even though Bing, big bingle is at the time in storage, is in carnival parades of all things because you know you get you get to the point where um you know some of these carnival uh, crews they're doing uh they're doing some kind of dubious themes right you know where they're using pool floats and so you've got you know you know ho holidays across america right and you got a, a float with a turkey for thanksgiving and a float with an easter bunny and so but one of the things that that current studios did was uh, they made at one point a float with a Mr. Bingle on it. 
And that became, you know, you saw that in a number. I remember the one place I've got a, a photo of it in the book was uh, the crew of Caesar in Metairie. And they had a uh, they had a, a bingle float, and that was not uncommon. And of course, people would mask as Mister Bingle at carnival time and that kind of thing. Well, the so the big Bingle is 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 in storage at this time, and he is just kind of you know things aren't really happening at that point. The Dillard's finally breaks down and donates the big Bingle. They're like this thing is sitting in a warehouse somewhere it's not very well kept up city park approaches dillard's or vice versa and they say hey you know look this thing it's 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 important to a lot of people and so this is early 2005 the park acquires bingle and it's well then 2005 becomes its own hot mess because of hurricane katrina but after the park gets, you know, gets things back on its feet, then Bingle becomes a, uh, a mainstay of celebration in the Oaks. At that point, now remember, Bingle's a flying figure when he was up on the, uh, up on the front wall, on the, you know, the front of the Maison Blanche Canal store. So what happened over time was that but Bingle got turned into a float, if you will. But you know, basically what they did was they took the big Bingle character, the, the figure, and put it on a trailer and then decorated that trailer so it looks like it's clouds. And so Bingle's flying through the air with, you know, in the clouds kind of thing. And that little trailer got pulled, you know, you hook it to, hook it to a, a, a truck and you could drive that in, you know, it's been you know, a couple of, at that point, incarnations and attempts at Christmas parades downtown. And so the big bingo from Maison, from MB Canal became part of those, uh, of those little parades. But the big thing was, of course, is at that point they said, now nah, we're not going to do, you know, they haven't had a Christmas parade in years, but Bingle is now just, he is part of celebration in the Oaks. And that's the thing you can go, you know, stand your kid in front of big Bingle and actually that, you know, that, that's a, that would be even a wonderful thing for the pandemic if, but you know, we're, we're only doing the drive through this year, but you know, yeah, it's, it's not even like sitting the kid on Santa. You just, you would go, you just go put your kid up and sit him next to the Santa. Thank you to Lewis Maestros for his, you know, for giving me permission to use his picture of big Bingle in the park, uh, in the book. And of course you could see the, that's a black and white version because the book was black and white, but you can see the color version of that photo on the show page for the podcast. And so now, you know, since, uh, since, uh, uh, since the, the early aughts, Bingle is now just, the big Bingle is an annual feature of celebration in the Oaks. He's not, I mean, Dillard's owns the character and there's stories of them enforcing the copyright on the character, like, you know, even craft fair, uh, people make a little ornament and they next thing you know they're getting c and d's from from dillard's but the big bingle is owned by the city i mean it's owned by the park so he's he's part of the city now he's just an iconic figure from that time when the department stores dominated canal street and that's a wonderful thing for everybody Okay, that's our pod for this week. Uh, it's just so many fun memories here because, you know, it's just 
when I was when I was working at, at MB Clearview in the late seventies and you know, bingle was a thing, the stuffed bingles and you know, little little bingles here, there and everywhere throughout the um through throughout the, the merchandising and, and, and that kind of thing. And then of course, uh, you know, as uh, I'm you know, becoming a grown up at that part at that point, you know, the big bingle appears downtown. Just a wonderful taking taking the kids, taking the boys out to, to City Park to see the big bingle as it is now just you know just they were a little older at that point but still wonderful you know just just fun to do and uh just such great memories and thank you for uh taking the time to to walk through that with me and and relive some of that so um yeah that's that's our our pod this is our 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 first pod for december we'll have another one I don't know if I'll finish it next week or if we'll catch it on the week in between Christmas and New Year's, but that one's going to be about a little bit about the Battle of New Orleans, but it's going to be some things that maybe you don't know about the Battle of New Orleans. We'll talk about that when we, when we get there. Big changes, as you heard, to uh, to NOLA History Guy and the way we're structuring things a little bit. Uh, we'll You'll see more of that start popping up as we go. Uh, certainly, you know, that that's going to be an important piece of the, the coming year as hopefully the, the clouds and the fog and the mist of 2020 starts thinning out and we hopefully these vaccines get us back to normal and we can put aside the pandemic and at that point, right, and go from there. But anyway, uh, I just, you know, had such a great time talking with you guys today. Please tell me your bingo memories. I love them. Yeah, I did this in... Uh, we did this when we wrote the book, and so just keep, let's keep talking. Let's keep Bingle alive in both our hearts, minds, and in reality as he, you know, makes, hopefully makes a return next Christmas that we can walk back through the Botanical Gardens and Storyland and go, see, you know, go see Big Bingle up close and personal and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, stay in touch, please. You know, of course, it's at NOLA History Guy all the way across Twitter, uh, 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 Twitter, Instagram, and um, uh, just pretty much every place. Nola History Guy on the, the Facebook page. We've got a group, you know, because pages aren't as much. There was that point, and Facebook's been back and forth on this, but we kept it going. Uh, we have a group on Facebook that is called New Orleans Uncovered. And I like to think of that. That's basically the, the Nola History Guy group, if you will. But it's got a different name to kind of keep it open and other people can, you know, kind of call it their home and that kind of thing. Uh, share your memories, you know, come up, you know, uh, you know uh, um, ping me on Twitter. I post stuff on Instagram all the time. I'll put up some some bingle stuff to focus that on Instagram. Always talking about stuff on the, the, the Facebook page as well as the Facebook group. Just get in touch. Or if you, you don't do any of that or your mama doesn't do any of that and you got a story, edward at ebranley.com. I'll put it on the show page as well. That's my email. Just go ahead and shoot me a note anytime. I, I just love to talk about, in particular, MB and Bingle. It's just so much fun. So you guys, it's the 20th. We're in that stress zone of last minute shopping and trying to make everybody happy. And that's even tougher right now because of everything to do with what we're going through. I, I hope you're okay. Okay. I really do. We'll, we'll talk more about that, you know, uh, especially after new year's, just, you know, kind of 
We'll do some memories of New Orleans that I just hope we can keep people okay. And uh, for those of you who have who are not okay because either you've got this stupid thing or you've you know had loved ones who've gotten ill or we've lost we've lost way too many people this year and that's a whole nother nightmare of a story but i hope you're okay i i i worry about these things yes i want you guys to to be to be well both physically and mentally and let's hope that we can have a a good christmas have an unstressed christmas which despite all of that you'd still be come on you'd still be wigged out here because you're trying to find the right gift and everything else at this point you know so it's like you know God, God bless Adler's Jewelers to be able to run in and pick up something nice even at the last minute. You know. Anyway, we'll talk about that maybe next Christmas when we're actually shopping. We'll talk about that some more. But yeah, stay in touch, please. It's like a, you know, it's like I love to hear from you guys. I love to talk about this old stuff. You know that if you see me talking, you know, in a you know, giving a, a, a talk somewhere that kind of thing. By all means, let's keep it all going into the new year. Uh, you guys take care. Have a happy Christmas. Have a happy and wonderful New Year. And we'll 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 well we'll talk to you one more time this year before that goes out. But if you don't catch that one, we'll see you in January. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Jingle, Oh!